And dearest Heavenly Father, God, as we do our best to hold on to our faith, we trust that you continue to hold on to us. You are a God who leads us through the storms. And so God, continue leading in your name. Amen. A few weeks ago, my wife's grandfather passed away. We immediately started making plans to go to the funeral. But those plans changed as the states of New England started closing down their borders, we realized there was no way we could go to the funeral. Unfortunately, in this time of social distancing, physical distancing, we've also experienced some emotional distancing, haven't we? Because I know that my experience not getting to go to a funeral is not a singular experience. Over and over again, I hear about people who've passed away. There's something about coming together in mourning that's important. Not getting to go to funerals. Suffering, all of us in our own homes. Wondering if anyone even notices. It's been a difficult year. It feels like... It feels like we're getting attacked at our weakest, doesn't it? It feels like... Our most vulnerable... Seem to be the ones being attacked. And this is not a news story. We find the same story in Exodus chapter 17. In Exodus chapter 17, everything seems to be going well for the children of Israel. They've crossed through the Red Sea. Bread has fallen from heaven. Just talking with my boys last night at worship about manna. I don't know about you guys, but I am excited to try manna when I get to heaven. (laughs) I just, I don't know. Maybe it's my love of carbs. I don't know, but... I'm excited. Water comes from a rock. It seems like they can conquer every obstacle. And then... Amalek. Amalek comes up, and you find in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 17 and 18, it tells you a little bit more about this story. It says, Remember what Amalek did to you on your journey out of Egypt. How he attacked you on the way, when you were faint and weary, struck down those who lagged behind you. He did not fear God. You see, Amalek, he didn't come out and just attack them. He snuck up from behind. He snuck up from behind and he started picking out the weakest. Focusing on the elderly, the women, the children. Those who couldn't keep up with the group, these are the ones he would attack. 
kind of feels like this year, doesn't it? Moses says, okay, we've got to take care of this. And I love that Moses did not try to do this on his own. He sought out partners. He sought out people to do this mission with him. And he introduces a new character here. This is the first we see of Joshua. And he says, Joshua, I need you to put together a team and you're going to go out and fight Amalek. And I'm going to go up on this mountain with Aaron and her. Do not think for a moment that Moses was avoiding the conflict. Don't think for a moment that he was sending Joshua into battle and he just wanted to watch and see how it went. This was a partnership. Joshua, you have your part to play. I'm going to play my part with Aaron and her. Partnerships are important. It's important for us to find people who have the same mission that God has called us to so that we can work together for his kingdom. We can't do it on our own. And there, Moses goes up to the top of the mountain. This part of the story has always fascinated me. Because it almost feels like a remote control up there. His hands are up. They prevail. His hands are down. All of a sudden, the Amalekites are winning. How... How is this working? What kind of conductor is this? But you have to understand what was happening up on that mountain was prayer. This was the attitude of prayer. This was the posture of prayer during that day. And so as Moses is up there, when his hands are raised in prayer, God is prevailing. But as soon, as soon as his hands come down where he's too weary from prayer, the tides turn. It makes you think twice about that verse in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. That verse that so many of us have, have relegated to, well, you can't really pray without ceasing. So this battle was won with prayer without ceasing. What if? What if we are actually called to pray without ceasing? Let's be honest with ourselves. We do not pray enough. We somehow think that, that we can handle things, and so we, we handle the things that we can, and we manage those, and then when we can't, then, then it's time to pray. And we think that somehow our prayer, if, if we let God know the problem, that we're good, now he'll take care of it. But this story is a different message. But what else I love about this story is it reminds us that 
It didn't just happen on the mountain, and it didn't just happen on the battlefield. It happened in both places simultaneously. We are called to do everything we can and to pray without ceasing. We are called to work on the battlefield and on the mountaintop. We are called to wear masks and pray that COVID ends. Because we need to do everything we can and trust that God will take care of the things we cannot. This, this is what partnership looks like. Where we find people who are working towards the same goal, who are willing to pray alongside of us, who are willing to work on the mountain when we're in the battlefield and to work on the battlefield when we're on the mountain. We need partners in life, don't we? A few weeks ago, when I preached, I shared the story of my first marriage. The plan was to share the story of how I met Brianna the next week, but because we were planning on going to the funeral, that got postponed. But don't worry, I'll finish my story. Brianna and I met in sunny Southern California. She was the fifth and sixth grade teacher at a school there, and I was the youth pastor. And I remember when we first met, we had seen each other, but we didn't actually like interact. In fact, the first time she saw me, she went to the principal's office and she said, there's a strange man out on the basketball courts. And the principal said, yes, that strange man is the new youth pastor. We still didn't talk to each other for quite a while until that winter there was a trip up into the mountains. That's the nice thing about living in California. If you didn't like the weather, you could drive to different weather. And so even though it was warm down in the valley, we could go up and go skiing. And so every year the school would take a bunch of Southern Californian children up there to experience a taste of Michigan. <laughs> and so we went up there and found that the only two of us who really seemed to understand snow were Brianna and I, and so we found ourselves spending time talking as we were the only ones going up to the top of the mountain and coming back down. And I thought, wow, this is, this is a good person. We need to get her involved. And so I talked to her and I said, would you be willing to help out with our Pathfinder Club? And she and I spent a couple years co-directing the Pathfinder Club. She was an excellent partner in ministry. Fast forward until been a few years after the divorce had been finalized and I had said to her, hey, people say we should date. She said, people are wrong. She made it very clear that she had no intention to marry a pastor, and I couldn't blame her. It was understandable. But we continued our friendship. We continued spending time together. And I remember it was one Sunday night, 
in January. We, we had dinner together, and afterwards I sent her a message, and I said, that kind of felt like a date, because I'm not a quitter. <laughs> and she said, it, it did, and I liked it. But we decided, you know, as she was now the principal of the school and I was the youth pastor, we shouldn't rush into anything because, I mean, it would be really awkward if it didn't work. And so we said, okay, let, let's take this slow. But the problem is, is when you have spent five years already knowing the person and you know everything about them, it's hard to take it slow. But we did. That was a Monday where we decided to take it slow and we did not start dating until Sabbath. <laughs> and to best explain what dating Brianna was like, let me tell you a story about the Upper Peninsula. We, because we couldn't go to the funeral, we went camping up in the UP. I love the Upper Peninsula. Lake Superior is absolutely beautiful. I'm not a big beach person, but the beaches on Lake Superior are covered with beautiful stones and the water is crystal clear and delightfully chilly. And my boys could just spend all day trying to throw all of those stones back into the water. And so we were up there, and I noticed there were a lot of people walking along looking for rocks. And I, you can't blame them because the rocks are so beautiful along Lake Superior. And so I started asking them, what are you, what are you looking for? They were all looking for the same thing. They were looking for agates. Well, not wanting to miss out, I decided I too should look for agates. And so I started saying, how do you know when you found an agate? What, is, what does an agate look like? And this is when I discovered that rock hunting is a competitive sport. Because their answers were remarkably cagey. They did not want to share their secrets for finding agates. And so they would say things like, oh, you'll know when you find one. And so we looked, and we looked, and we, we collected stones. Maybe, maybe this is one. And we looked, and we looked, and we, we weren't ever sure until we found one. And it's true, because as soon as you find one, all of the rest don't stand a chance anymore, because now you know, ah, this is definitely one. You know when you find one. That's what dating Brianna was like. Because when you find a partner in ministry, you know. And it's not a surprise that she was a teacher. One thing I love about Adventist education is I can walk in to any school and be surrounded by partners in ministry. Our schools are filled with teachers who their greatest desire is to bring your kids to Jesus Christ. And I want to spend a few moments and introduce you to just four of our teachers.
Hi, my name is Gina Yoon. I teach first and second grade here at Ruth Murdoch Elementary School. Several years ago, I was diagnosed with something called fibromyalgia with chronic fatigue syndrome, meaning I'm in pain quite a bit and I get very tired very, very easily. Every morning, I wake up. Don't know how I wake up. Sometimes I'm in tears crying because I'm in so much pain, but I get dressed somehow. <laughs> I don't even know how I do that. And then I get to school. My sister literally has to push me out of the car sometimes because my body just won't move. But somehow I get into my classroom and I have a moment of silence. In that moment of silence, I get to pray for each of my kids. I thank God for today. And, and at that moment, at 8.05, I hear that it's knocking in the door. And I peek through and I see the faces of my students and my body just changes. And the pain goes away um, to the point that I can hug them and it doesn't hurt. I can stand as long as I need to to make sure my kid understands his math problem. I can kneel down and give them a hug to let them know that they're loved. But teaching them that you love them, that you care about them enough that you want to be here. I can't imagine myself doing other, anything else other than being at school and loving them. I don't know how long my body can handle this, but I'm going to keep doing it until I can, because what else will I be doing? So I guess why I do this, because guy said I can, and yeah. <laughs> Hello everyone, uh, my name is uh, Jess Swackhammer and I am the new fifth grade teacher over at the Ruth Murdoch Elementary School. I'm very excited about joining the team over there and joining the entire Andrews University community. When I think about Adventist education specifically, I like to think that we are offering a different product than what most other schools are are able to offer. You know, the idea of being able to uh, work with pastors and do baptismal studies with the kids, the idea of being able to incorporate prayer uh, into the classroom, not just, you know, at the beginning, at the end of the day and uh, before we eat lunch, but if there's a conflict. And I'm working with a couple students on that. Being able to bring prayer into part of that uh, is huge. I like to incorporate the Bible into my regular uh, classroom teaching. Just that idea of being able to incorporate Scripture and what Christ wants us to do and how Christ wants to live our life, I think, sets us apart. And I'm very excited about bringing that and incorporating that uh, into the fifth grade program at Ruth Murdoch this year. I'm Steve Atkins, and I teach at Andrews Academy, and I teach biology and earth science. The story actually begins when I worked at a youth camp teaching water skiing and windsurfing. The kids would come to camp to have a blast, and in the process of doing that, they discover God. And I thought, that is cool. I want to do something where I can help others learn about Jesus. So I don't think I would be good at a water ski instructor, especially at my age now, but um, that maybe I could teach science so I could then influence others, the students, for Jesus.
in my classroom as I'm teaching about science, I try to put in spiritual insights as we're talking about a concept. So um, in biology, that's easy to do. There's so many spiritual lessons that are drawn in nature from the Bible. And so as I develop the concept, then I can throw that little idea in and hopefully plant a seed in the students' lives. And I think of a student that kind of summarizes all of this purpose in why I teach. This is an international student, didn't know English that well, so after school he'd come by to learn the stuff and ask questions. And he then asked, so how does the Bible work? And I'm like, wow, what an opportunity. So he would learn the stories. Uh, I remember him asking, what's with Daniel in the lion's den? You know, and so he was going through, you know, the um, cradle roll program of introducing the basic Bible stories. And, and I, that, that kind of summarizes why I want to teach is to help people learn about God. Hi, my name is Samantha Mills, and I am the physical education and health education teacher at Andrews Academy. I spent uh, 10 years at Milford High School and then Lakeland High School, and both high schools were very large. Um, the thing that I missed is I couldn't pray with my students, but I think God had, was, I know God was providential and showed me that um, He needed me elsewhere. And it did, um, God opened the door and we did end up going to Battle Creek. I taught there for three years. And what I say is teaching elementary brought the joy back to teaching. Someone at my husband's job, who is an Adventist, said, did you know that there's a position available at Andrews Academy? And so bringing, there was a lot, God opened that door, and um, I have been blessed every moment of being here at Andrews Academy. There's no worry that I'm going to get fired because I want to pray with my students or um, spending time with them at church. It's amazing to go to church with some of my students. I may not connect with every student, but that is always my goal, is just some way that I can have some opportunity that God can use to... Um, lead them closer to God. You see, they could each and every one get paid more to work anyplace else. They Teaching is not good hours. Yeah, you can go home at four, but then there's the grading. The only logical explanation for why they do what they do is the mission. Our schools. I could stand up here and talk about how I believe that Adventist education is better academically, and I do believe that. But that's not our main purpose. I could talk about how I believe that our physical education is better, even though we don't have all of the sports, because we're incorporating the health message, it's better. That is not our primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to bring children to Jesus Christ. If you're listening, if you're listening, I, I want to ask you, what is your 
primary purpose. What has God called you to do? If your parents have children, I encourage you, partner with Adventist schools. But whatever it is that God has called you to do, let's do it. Let's partner with God, let's partner with others, and finish this work. I remember when I was a student missionary on the island of Taiwan. One of the things we liked to do was go to a little island right off of Taiwan called Green Island because for some reason it was built into our contracts that the rules didn't apply if we were off the main island. I'm not sure why they did that. But they did, and so we were all excited to go there and live outside the rules. So we went to Green Island together where we could ride mopeds. For some reason, that was our heart's desire. This tiny little island to just ride circles around it all day on mopeds. And that's exactly what we did. And as we were there riding around on our mopeds, I remember... I was riding with a friend of mine, another student missionary from South Africa, Leon Berg, and he honked his horn, and when he did that, it made me think, this is an emergency, so I slammed on my brakes, and the front brakes were fantastic. I'm not as sure about the back brakes, because the front brakes seemed to do all the work, and the moped came to a stop, but I did not, as I flew through the air. And as I landed, I realized this is not okay. I have broken my wrist, the wrist on my right hand. I knew this because just nine months earlier, I had broken the exact same bone on my left hand. So I, I knew the feeling. I was familiar with it. And so I went to a clinic. There was just a small clinic there on the island, and we went there, and they didn't have an x-ray. And I said, well, I can tell you the bone I broke. It's the scaphoid bone here. The doctor seemed very impressed. He says, you seem to have a good grasp on this. What should we do next? <laughs> he said, Let, well, we should put a cast on it. Oh, that's good. That's good. He said, good news, we have all of the supplies for that right over here. You can do that. I said, no. I'd don't know just the right angle and how to do that and I can't put a cast on myself especially with my left hand come on we can't mend ourselves when we're broken can we and we are in a broken world 2020 has brought that to the surface We're broken as individuals, we're broken as families, we're broken as a nation, and we're broken as a world. We cannot take care of it ourselves. We need to partner with each other, and we need to partner with God. I believe that Jesus is coming soon. You cannot look at the events happening around the world and not believe that. This is not a time 
for us to hunker down. This is not a time for us to retreat. This is the time to charge forward. And so I, I invite you. Let's partner for the kingdom. So for those of you watching online, there's a little button there for a Connect card. And those of you who are here, although we aren't physically handing out Connect cards, when you get home, I want, I want you to make a decision. Because so often we hear things and then continue as normal, but let's make a decision. God has called each and every one of us to a purpose, hasn't he? Find a partner. Find people who are willing to pray without ceasing with you. Find people who are willing to journey with you. Be that partner for someone else. But also, if you have school-aged children and you've not given Adventist education a try, I invite you to do that. Because as parents, we know the one task we've been tasked with is bring our kids to Jesus Christ. And I know... For my boys, I'm going to do absolutely everything in my power. And I know that some of you, as you're hearing this, it hurts because you can't afford Adventist education. I'm not naive on this. It's expensive. But this is the last part. There are some of you who no longer have kids of that age. And I challenge you, partner with a family who cannot afford it. We're in this together. I think of a little girl. She was a first grader at the time, and she came to the tent. And she said to her mother afterwards, I want to go to Ruth Murdoch Elementary School. And her mother said, we cannot afford that. They were an international student family here, and there was no possible way. But for the last two years, somehow money has showed up. She texted me again yesterday. They don't know how it's going to show up for next year. But we serve a God who does know. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, thank you for being willing to partner with us. Help us as we leave this place to partner with you, to partner with those around us to the mission you have called us to do. In your name, amen.